You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Everyone and welcome to the Nerd. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number three hundred thirty-nine. We're discussing the DCU, MCU trailers, and Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. I'm one of your hosts, Tim, and I'm Carlos. Coming off the back end of not only a Black Adam review, but also our most recent toy stream live, where we talked with the house of nerd all about Ghostbusters and TMNT. It has been a fun-filled couple weeks of podcasting, but we got to get back to it, Carlos. It's time to run down some news, including James Gunn's vision for the DC Universe, if that's what he's calling it. We've got a couple MCU trailers and probably the biggest debut outside of really Top Gun, it seems. And the only one that's going to contend for that top spot in Black Panther Wakanda Forever dropping this week. So we're winding down the year, man, but it's still very exciting in the nerd space. Man, you uh, you're forgetting about the the Navi there again. They they might oh. come and take that crown. <laughs> I totally forgot about that momentum those, and that coming in at the end of December. Those totally wet bastards. You don't know what to expect from them. So that's let's true. see what Blue happens. Bastards. I like it. I like it. How's the goddamn Batman doing this week? I'm good, man. Like I uh, I don't know if we'll get to it, but. I have been fully and utterly immersed in Gotham Knights. Like nice. any moment I get has just been ripping around in that game. And uh, yeah, I'd like to share my thoughts because that game is fun as hell. Like if you have any affinity for the Bath family or just kind of those superhero type of games, like this one nails it. Like I really like the way they did the characterizations of uh the different members of the Bat family and just the scope and feel of Gotham. It's cool to just rip around and solve crimes and uh, the ability to play with us with a partner is absolutely incredible. So um, yeah, it gets actually pretty high recommend from me. I know it uh, got a bit slighted in the reviews and stuff like that. That's what I was going to ask about. Yeah. It's, it seemed early on people were quite down on it and that, which really surprised me, but then, it seemed that the momentum swung from my timeline over to it being quite heavily favored in inside of kind of my core group of people that I know are connected in through that game. Yeah, it's one of those where I think just kind of the the tech specs, like the 30 frames per second was something that turned people off. But at the same time, you have to balance that out with the fact that you're playing an open world adventure game with a second player. Uh, at all times where you can kind of have somebody jump in. Like I just had some dude jump in as Red Hood and Sweet. I was Nightwing and we went ripped around, <laughs> solved some crimes and uh, busted up Clayface. And it, w- it was cool, right? Like, so to be able to do that kind of thing uh, is why your graphics will take a bit of a hit. And, you know, if I'm having fun with the game, if I like the story and the play style, that's cool. And I think the the other thing that, took people back a bit was that it doesn't play like Arkham or Spider-Man. So Arkham was mm. kind of that set the paradigm for the free flow fighting. And then Spider-Man just basically aped that and 
added Spidey's power sets to it. But uh, this one doesn't quite play the same way, but it's its own thing with making each of the Gotham Knights unique. So as you progress the game, you can get Batgirl feeling a lot like Batman in the Arkham games. Uh, but a character like Red Hood doesn't or shouldn't play like Bruce because he's running around with his little plasma blaster guns there and stuff like that. And <laughs> like Robin is my dude because I love just stealthing all over the place and getting into tilts with the bow staff. So, yeah, anybody who wants to play, hit me up, Canadian Cape Crusader on uh, the old PSN, and uh, we can go fight crime and or evil in Gotham anytime you want. So. Well, there you go. There's there's a mini review. This is the thing. This is, as Carlos likes to call it, the nerd room, the home of all things DC. So we're going to start it off with a mini review of Gotham Knights, and we're going to actually end this episode with a discussion around the DCU, as James Gunn is now calling it, something I'm immensely excited about, his vision, and to talk about his vision. And we're also going to talk a lot of MCU stuff, which we're going to kick this episode off. So, Carlos... After that short mini review, I love I love when you go on a DC tangent. I can hear the passion in there, and it, it just makes me smile to know that uh, that you're loving this game, and and I know you're gonna love talking about James Gunn's DCU in a very short few minutes. But we're gonna get over to this week in nerd. All right, everyone, welcome to this week in nerd where we discuss the latest and the greatest from the world of nerd. And we're going to talk about a bit of the MCU. Over the past few weeks, we've been focusing on things like Black Adam and some of the beyond aspects. But we're going to step back into the MCU as it's ready to kick it into overdrive this week with their final film of the year hitting theaters this weekend. And that is Black Panda Wakanda Forever. Carlos, I know you and the fam are going to see this. But where does this rank on your relative excitement level when you compare it to some of the other things that have dropped in this space, especially, you know, shoulder to shoulder almost here with Black Adam? Is your anticipation level way up or is it kind of mid-range or a little bit lower than it's been with these Phase 4 films? Oh, no. Of the MCU, like, Phase 4 stuff, it's, like, right up there. It's... Mm probably my most anticipated thing that they've I, actually it is my most anticipated thing of the year for sure if not the next um two years uh outside of the spider-man movie like yeah it, black panther is definitely my mm -hmm. jam and um i i love what they did with the first movie i love the world of wakanda that they built i love ryan coogler's passion for it and um I don't know that I was overly curious to see how they play Wakanda in the absence of T'Challa, uh, but it was obviously something that real-life circumstances necessitated they do. So, um, yeah, I, I'm here for seeing how they how they met that challenge and um, went through the grieving process with it. And uh, Submariner, like, that was something that, I was kind of like, ah, oh, we'll see how they do it. But then when I saw what mm -hmm. direction they took the new design and the reinvention of the character, um, I, I was digging that they took a big swing with totally uh, building the character from the ground up and giving him some 
Aztec trappings to his origin and really disregarding the traditional Submariner and doing their own thing, which I think is cool and will serve them way better in the long term. So, mm-hmm. um, and also give them a bit of space away from Aquaman, right? So yeah. I, I do think it's interesting that you had, that we're having these things where DC all of a sudden is kind of the more comic booky, less serious versions of things. Like we just had Black Adam, which was just <laughs> kind of a, big bombastic fun action movie and i don't think wakanda forever is going to be that at all like i think it'll be enjoyable but i think it'll be uh necessarily somber and serious and a a bit of a darker film which is things that you typically attribute to the other side of the house so it's just an interesting dichotomy and um you, you think you have two aquatic characters across the companies who would have thought that aquaman would be the funner more aloof colorful enjoyable one and namor like that guy is scary based on what i've seen in the trailers like in a cool way but uh yeah you definitely don't get the sense that you you should cross him so yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to it but um yeah but not in that kind of like hype rock and roll let's kind of go type of way like I think this will just be a really, really well thought out, well made character driven movie, which all due respect, I don't think we've had from Marvel for a minute. So I'm totally looking forward to that. And I think this will be right in my wheelhouse, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. This is definitely going to take a, a different tone of things. And I think that they are looking inside of this film to, uh, to you know, provide some commentary around social issues as well they took advantage of that in the last film um given the appropriate platform and you know we talked a bit about this in our black adam reviews they didn't quite go into that because of the the structure of the film and kind of the tone that they were striking where like you said this this feels more like the dc side of things where it it is going to be darker i think and i think there's going to be light moments in it but there's there's a lot of character work to do and i'm really hoping namor shines inside of this i'm looking forward i think most to that character you know the the discussion around who's going to be the black panther and all that like i i'm more excited to see how they introduce namor at this at this point than i am about them overly addressing you know the absence of t'challa and all that i think that that's going to be done in a way that that honors the legacy of chadwick boseman and of that character but at the same time, I, it looks like Ryan Kluegler is trying to, to build out this world and give it the, the light that it deserves, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited for this. But I have to say, at the end of the day, ever since the pandemic and the post-pandemic world that we're now currently living in, I, have, I never, I don't get the hype for the MC movies that I used to. Like, I remember back to, like, the Avengers movies, even Iron Man 3 coming off the back end of Avengers. It was all you could do to keep me out of the theater, the, like, the instant that these movies dropped. And I don't even have a ticket for Black Panther yet. I, I'm just kind of like, I'll see it when I see it type thing, right? I, I'm going to see it over the weekend, but I usually I usually end up there on Sunday night now, um, stay mm-hmm. off Twitter a little bit. I, I'm, I'm thoroughly excited for this, and a lot of people are excited for this. They're projecting it to do... 175 million plus like one of the biggest if not the biggest debut of the year outside of multiverse of madness but i I just don't know what it is i don't know if it's the accessibility of things is easier or if i miss it i'll get it you know in the week or if worse comes worse and like thor love and thunder i kind of fell asleep halfway through the movie and i got it 45 days later i don't know if if that is playing a factor into it or if just my experience feels different in the post-pandemic world 
Yeah, I don't know. But like maybe it is because we do get a, a steady diet of mm. the MCU fare through the Disney Plus shows and stuff like that. And um, I do think that now that it's so beloved, but by a bit of an older age group, it's like nonstop on social media all the time. Mm. So maybe you just get sick of seeing it. I, I don't know. Um it's probably the amount of content we're getting, right? We went from two films a year to three to four to now four plus four TV properties. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot of content. And then you start to, to layer on DC picking up momentum, Star Wars picking up momentum again. And it's just a ton of content, right, to get through inside of a family and work and life and all that stuff is just... And so it's it's become all of it's become less of a priority to me if I'm being completely honest. But I'm still hyped. I'm still hyped for for Black Panther, and or I should say Wakanda Forever and what it's going to to do. And hopefully it takes the genre to again another level like Black Panther one did. Um, so yeah, it's it's coming out this weekend. We're likely going to be reviewing it next week. We're going to talk in Black Panther. That's a big film, and it's going to be I think top tier. I'm looking forward to what Ryan Coogler does here and. But the MCU doesn't slow down. You know, we got one movie coming out and they're already talking about the next ones. November 25th, we get another Marvel Studios special presentation on Disney Plus with the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. And I'm going to be honest here now. This is the thing I'm most looking forward to this year. (laughs) Not actually, but it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like it's going to focus really around Batista and Palm's characters, Mantis and Drax the Destroyer. And their their little fun run through Christmas, trying to to bring up Peter Quill's spirits by bringing him the world famous, the greatest superhero on earth, Kevin Bacon, making his jump into the MCU. This is directed by the head of DC Studios, James Gunn, and he's bringing us what looks to be a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of holiday specials. Now you're gonna throw Guardians and make this kind of a James Gunn presentation. I'm here for it all day, man. Couple weeks out. Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised by this trailer, just how much it looked like another piece of the movies. Like, if you had said that here's scenes from Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I wouldn't have batted an eye, because it just feels like a piece of uh, the previous films. Probably the only thing that was different was when you had Drax and uh, Mantis (laughs) on Earth, right? Because outside of peter's abduction they've never really been back here i guess mm. the flashback with uh ego and uh, peter's mom but yeah Modern that was the day, only yeah. yeah that was kind of the only time that um we get earth again so yeah th- this looks cool i think it'll be fun i i really liked the halloween special for lack of a better term that was werewolf mm. by night so there's reason for optimism and uh yeah it, it should be something cool and i think that all the pieces that James Gunn has cooked up to close out his Guardians of the Galaxy era are pretty special. Like, I think they've been gestating for a long time, and I think he wants to go out on a high, and that he has a story that he wants to tell. And I feel like this Christmas special is actually part of that story as opposed to, hey, we want to make a Marvel Christmas special. Let's Mm -hmm. just put the Guardians in it. I think that there's a bit of a reason for this one. Like, I, I think it came from a place of inspiration. So, um, 
yeah, let's see. Like the vibe I got from the trailer, it, it could have been he or James Gunn was channeling himself with Peter and being down and out and kind of depressed because, mm-hmm. you know, there was rumblings of this being a thing back when uh, he fell out of favor with the 2019, Disney, 2018. Right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. Kind of talking about this. And I think very much to your point about it being something that's conceived out of, out of creativity or desire to want to do it in a very similar fashion that Peacemaker was right. Where yeah. every components of guardians of the galaxy two that you see that's come from James Gunn, You've got the three movies. Well, we haven't seen the third one, but you have three movies, this holiday special. I've never been on the Disney ride, uh, but apparently mm-hmm. that is really well done as as well. And that was something that he directed all of that stuff inside of that ride as well. Yeah, the the ride, it's not... Because the ride is what it is, right? Because it's mm-hmm. the Hollywood Tower of Terror, yeah. so there's only so much of a story you can write around it. But it certainly feels... Um, like something supplementary or complementary yeah. to where the first movie was. Yeah. It, it doesn't quote unquote fit in continuity, but uh, yeah, it was cool. Very, very yeah. cool. And apparently this holiday special is the end of phase four. This is what's capping it off. Not with an Avengers film or anything big like Black Panther. It is apparently this as per Kevin Feige. So, um, Oh really? Even, and so phase yeah, five starts in January. Yeah, I guess I don't know if Phase is is Quantum Media the first thing that comes out. What comes out first, dude? I, I don't know. I'm I'm so I, lost. I, I in got everything. DC Studios on lock. If yeah, it's, <laughs> it's got to be you. This is your house, Kevin. I know it's it's funny because I'm I feel like so out of touch with certain things because one everything gets moved around all the time, right? And and two, yeah, February seventeenth this comes out twenty twenty three. So the start of Phase Five, I'm guessing the start of Phase Five with quantum mania is more of the point than the end of phase four. I think they just are just saying we want phase five to start with quantum mania and therefore we're ending it at the last product that drops from the MCU. So turns out out to be the holiday special. (laughs) So weird, but yeah, cool. Why not? Like, I I don't know that I put the phases in boxes that much anyways. So um, no. And I think it's just the way, like to me, it, it seems like the way that they are blocking out their thought process and all that. And it seems that, phase four was building a little momentum but it was about kind of just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks for a lack of a better term you get everything from what's going to be probably one of the the most profound movies in wakanda forever and you've got like werewolf by night you've got whatever lore love thor love and thunder was some people like it ish and others not so much and so there's a huge variability inside of phase four where i think Phase 5, which we're going to talk about right now with Quantum Mania, is going to start and really drive towards these big Avengers films, right? Like, for the first time coming off of Endgame, we didn't have line of sight to what an Avengers film was going to be about up until those announcements about a couple months ago when they talked about the Kang Dynasty and, uh, of course, Secret Wars. And really, we got our first look at a Kang variant inside of Loki season one. So that was kind of like the kickoff to it. But quantum mania is really going to kick this thing into overdrive. We got a trailer a couple weeks ago that we did not chat about because of all the, the DC stuff coming at us from the announcement of James Gunn and black Adam and everything, but it's a relatively short teaser trailer. And the most significant thing that I think it really established inside of it is that the quantum realm is actually a, like a, a fully populated dimension, which I mm-hmm. wasn't totally aware of. That's the direction they're going. And we also get our first full look at Kang the Conqueror in his 
relatively comic book accurate uniform outfit, whatever you want to call it. And you got Jonathan Majors there who's, who's absolutely exploding here with both him being Kang and being the, the nemesis, the villain, if you will, inside of Creed 3, coming from Michael B. Jordan here in 2023 as well. So thoughts on this Quantumania trailer, kick off the Phase 5, and really probably putting into overdrive what at least this next big Avengers villain is going to be. Multiverse of Madness has sort of addressed some of the stuff in No Way Home, of course, in the multiverse. But Kang being kind of the, the big villain, Thanos-esque villain coming up here, it's probably going to be our first real good look at what this character is going to do inside of the MCU. Yeah, man. Like, uh, uh, the highs were really high. Like, Jonathan Majors, like I've said from the time I saw him on Lovecraft Country, like, that guy is my dude. I hold him in very high regard as an actor, and I think he's just a, he's a cool personality, and I'm excited to see him in the MCU in a big way as Kang. I think the look of the character was awesome. Mm -hmm. I thought the idea of having just the blue light shining out from the headpiece was pretty inspired way of accomplishing that look uh, when he's not just um, himself as an actor. So Kang was cool. I liked the vibe that he gave off with the dialogue that he delivered. And uh, it looks like they're going to strip away some of the more gobbledygook type of aspects of Kang like Kang seems to be just as deus ex machina for everything in the Marvel yes. books that he's in yes. and so they've uh, stripped him down and I think he's going to have a bit of a tighter more concise more direct story which which will be good for your audience and for driving your second phase of films home uh, but as far as the movie as a whole Ant-Man with Bill Murray in it. Like, no. Yeah, it's not for me, man. Like, And, like, I just know that they're going to tie my girl Michelle Pfeiffer to Bill Murray's character in the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. as be- And it's just, like, it- it's, like, gross on paper. Gross because of Bill Murray. Evangeline yeah. Lilly, you're weird. Like, that that takes the Disney Plus for me. Or maybe you and I'll just go and I'll save the family tickets. But uh <laughs> my 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 $15 is all for Jonathan Majors. All $15, Kevin Feige. Don't give any money to Bill Murray out of that. He doesn't get any any percentage of my ticket. Yeah, man. It it, it does look like a an odd movie to bring Kang into it, right? It's 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 a big character and and to have Ant Man in there, there's gotta be I, I always am of the opinion that there's a reason for things. Um, clearly, Peyton Reed had a story he wanted to tell, and leveraging the quantum realm as being just another piece of this much larger narrative that they're building around Kang and the variants of Kang and what he could possibly do, and if there's fallout directly from Loki Season 2, which hasn't been overly addressed. You know, that was a, a massive cliffhanger that we left mm-hmm. with at the end of Season 1 there that over the course of the last two years has not really been touched on in any significant way. No, I might be wrong on some of that, but even No Way Home, Multiverse of Madness, there's no real reference to what happened there and the significance of killing the man at the end of time type thing, right? Um, they've yeah. all kind of gone, gone about the that piece of it in their own separate way. And I'm assuming it all comes together at some point, but... It's interesting that we've had to wait. I don't remember when Loki season two, but a year and a half to even see maybe some of the ripple effects of that show. And I think that's really going to build into this movie. 
Yeah, to be honest, to just go back to your point with like the Y Kang in an Ant Man movie, I honestly think it's because that's the film that people would care the least about if you let mm. the villain take it over, right? So yeah. it's going to be uh, primarily a Kang movie, Kang being able to move through space and time and uh, reality. He, he can be in any pocket that you want, right? So why not mm. the quantum realm and you've got some established pieces in Ant-Man? Like really the only thing that they're looking to accomplish, I would guess, with Ant-Man and the Wasp is to get Stature into a position where she can take up a mm. role in the new Avengers. So I think it's just some asset management, for lack of a better term, on the part of Kevin Feige for where's the spot that we can get uh, these pieces on the board and really showcase Kang and build him out uh, in a meaningful way. And uh, I think that's why, right? So, yeah, that's um, a good point. Cause you know, when, when it comes to Ant-Man and Wasp and even Hank Pym in that, we don't need a whole bunch of work done there, right? We, we've got their story inside of two movies plus Avengers movies. And oh, it's yeah. interesting. Like, I never really thought of it that this is probably more of Kang's movie in a similar way that, infinity war was very much a thanos movie right i i kind of just assumed that he would be kind of introduced you somewhat sparingly and then really pushed in subsequent films but if you look i guess at the films that are coming out this might be the only opportunity to give him a really foundational piece as kang outside of maybe loki season two but they want to do this on the big scale big movie and mm -hmm. also like you said pushing eyeballs to it but I, that's interesting. I never really thought of it as a Kang movie, but I, you're probably right in that that aspect of it. Oh man, like look at Ant Man. You you barely had enough pulling the taffy to get Ant Man two out the door, right? Like <laughs> there there is not a lot there. He works really uh, well as as a character in an Avengers film. I think. Yeah. Ant -Man. Yeah. Like, so he, he works with a big ensemble cast. I think. His best movies are the Avengers movies and oh, yeah, like, I think Endgame, right? I'd agree. And I, I quite like the first Ant-Man movie, but that it's second good. one is one of the yeah. worst. And I think it's just, there's not a lot there. So I think it's just, like I said, smart asset management by Marvel Studios to be like, well, well we've got these things because you need some familiar hero pieces for your mm -hmm. audience as a gateway and some name recognition. But then, yeah, you parachute Kang into there and you do all the work you need to do to build him up so that when you go into your big Avengers films, you can give him, give him a stage and everybody's familiar with them and Ant-Man be damned. You heard it here Scott first. Scott Lang coming to warn everyone again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I what he does. I survived the quantum realm again. I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> now, one last piece of MCU news before we move over to the new DCU is building on the mention there of Loki and a character inside of Loki, specifically Mobius, Owen Wilson, has been heavily rumored just today to be having a substantial role inside of Deadpool 3, a movie that was announced as part of the, I believe, Phase 6, maybe the end of Phase 5, and the integration of a time variance character really speaking to the idea that they're going to be screwing around with time inside of Deadpool 3, but I think in a very lighthearted way. And Owen Wilson, Ryan Reynolds, and Hugh Jackman in Deadpool 3. Who saw that coming? 
No, I didn't. And I, this is actually the very first time hearing of it. So what else is there to say? But wow. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess this is the confirmation that Deadpool 3 is firmly going to at least half take place in the MCU. And mm. uh, Mobius will be the gateway into bringing that character in. I'm curious to see how they play Wolverine. Like, is Hugh Jackman just going to play Wolverine going forward in the MCU? I think it's going to be in the same vein as Multiverse of Madness had that like Illuminati scene where they're like, we're going to just like do this because we can and we're going to have a little fun with this. I think Deadpool is going to be like a comedic riff on that and they're going to pull on a whole bunch of weird threads inside of all the universes. And you know, like the fan theory, the fan crafting around Multiverse of Madness, where they kind of played it relatively straight in that. I yeah. honestly think, and we've been kind of pitching this for Deadpool 3, like you just need Deadpool to acknowledge the fact that he's not in the MCU and he wants to be in the MCU and then have a whole bunch of fun in and around that. Like, could this be like a, a, t- a weird time travel, time and space travel movie with Deadpool? Like Deadpool has been more fundamentally grounded in that aspect of the character not being you know portaling around or doing anything crazy other than surviving a few gunshot wounds in that but like are they just gonna go like wild with this and say like let's put these two characters together buddy cop through time or some weird thing i don't know through the universes yeah maybe and maybe maybe there's some clues right in how they drop that announcement because like the shock and awe of hugh jackman coming back as wolverine um maybe took attention away from the fact that Ryan Reynolds, like if you watch like that whole announcement piece was about how he could not crack the story and he mm-hmm. couldn't get his head around it and nothing was happening. And then they do the bit with Hugh Jackman. And so maybe that's the real world narrative around Deadpool three is that, we couldn't get a story together in that restricted space. So Mm -hmm. we decided to go this route and here's this cool, fun PG 13 MCU Deadpool movie. You know, Sean Levy being the guy directing it also (laughs) gives some credence to the fact that it might be PG 13. And like I've said on this show, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't for a second believe that Deadpool needs to be a restricted adult character like not even remotely and once put in deadpool was almost a better movie than deadpool 2 for mm-hmm. me I, I think i enjoyed it more it was more concise some of the dumber jokes were taken out of it and uh yeah it worked so that, that's my theory now that you dropped that mobius on me yeah so. yeah i think that'd be cool and like to be honest with you i'm, I'm right there with you on the rated r stuff like the limits of pg-13 have are pushed right to the edge right I don't think there's going to be any problem with Ryan Reynolds sticking inside of that. Like he does it in most of his movies and Mm -hmm. the rated R is really only for, you know, a couple swear words and a bit more blood and two aspects of movies that like I, they can shoot around pretty conveniently. Right. Oh, and sometimes you take too much advantage of it and it comes off dumb. Like, I think Logan is fantastic filmmaking, but man, James Bangold having Professor X dropping F-bombs all the time. It just, it sounded weird. It felt like that nine-year-old who's just learned the word and just is using it for the sake of. Yeah. So you I'm can certainly fall into that trap. 
So yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious, and actually, I'm like Deadpool three. I was always excited, but um, I for me, this really pushes me into the film being squarely within the MCU and yeah. of a piece with the rest of the things they've done. Because mm-hmm. I personally don't think that they're gonna go hard R or anything like that because no. it just doesn't make good business sense. You can None sell whatsoever. a pile no, more and like, Deadpool at the end things. Of, yeah. yeah, and at the end of the day too, I don't I don't think that like to your question at the top there, I don't think Hugh Jackman is going to play Wolverine forever, but this is a great opportunity to combine the two. They've been wanting to do something like this and they're going to put him in the damn suit as well. Like They have mm-hmm. to. Like he's got I don't know, man. Way to, they have they With come mo- on. Oh, oh I, th- I do think that he's going to be in the suit. But yeah. I, I think with Mobius, I think he might. And if he's in the suit, uh, honestly, I think the reason that he stopped playing the role is he didn't want to work out and eat chicken breast and spinach all the time. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's inclined to keep going because it's big money to do something that he loves doing and how the barrier for him doing it is massively reduced being in what? the MCU. I saw a thing recently too that said like they beef up all these guys, like none of them actually look like like Thor. What he when they when Zeus, like, he doesn't actually look like that. He's a big man, but not like that. Like they they definitely enhance. Oh yeah, that's post production. That's our boy Ryan Dole. Well, that's yeah. why The Rock made such a big deal about that, yeah. right? Because he he has his scene like mildest of spoilers for Black Adam, but like his power up scene. Um, he was quite proud of the fact that it was all au naturel, and he actually posted the behind-the-scenes pictures of that mm. as an announcement. That's the one with the crazy vein running through his chest. Yeah, and I'm just like, it's a big man. <laughs> my my word, but uh, well, yeah. And there's pictures of him and Chris Evans next to each other for that Christmas special that they're doing on Prime Video, and yeah, he he makes Chris Evans, Evans a big, and he Evans is a big dude, like when he needs to be, right? <laughs> And, yeah oh man but he makes it look like me standing next to sanjay so. <laughs> troy standing next to sanjay <laughs> yeah, yeah probably more accurate uh, all right man well you know we spent the last couple of weeks talking all about dc big changes inside of that world and I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of guide us through the next, the back half of this episode as we, we pull on some of those James Gunn threads. Cause if I'm being honest with you, I'm going to put this out there before we talk about anything, the notion and idea of James Gunn being in charge of DC studios and some of the quotes that he's put out that we're going to talk about here. I'm more excited right now in this moment in time for what DC can deliver than what Marvel can deliver. Like I'm more, I, I think I have got this path inside of my head is out this level of expectation for the MCU that they've built up. But there's so many question marks on DC studios that it's got this very, you know, early days, 2012 to 15 vibe to it for me for like whatever I was in the MCU space. I'm kind of feeling that vibe right now for, for DC. And I'm really excited for what Peter Saffron and James Gunn can bring to the table here. Like I'm just, I got this like, you know, new fanboy type feel going on. Well, Ben, like just shut, there's what is there for me to say that if, 
if your level of excitement is that high, like drop the mic, shut, shut out the lights. Cause <laughs> that's all the endorsement that you need. But yeah, what you said about it being, having this vibe of like those early days, it, it, it does have that kind of excitement now mm. that you say it out loud where it's like these things that we know and that we want to see realized and you're confident that they will be realized, mm -hmm. but realized in a meaningful and structured way and the way that you want them to be brought to, to the audience. Right. So yeah, man, like that's a, that's a great point where, like with the MCU, it's just so big and grand right now that DC being in this kind of grassroots spot is kind of exciting where it's at the opposite end of the spectrum and they can just do these um, more base level things and you can have two flavors of ice cream every other month at the at the movie theater. Well, and just thing. before so, you get going, just on that point too, is... Right now with the MCU, it's so big, so grand, like you were saying, that I'm not shocked by anything anymore. I'm not shocked that Hugh Jackman is in or that we had John Krasinski making an appearance in Multiverse of Madness. But the the prospect going back into like 2014 of the Guardians coming to the screen, Winter Soldier being in a film, you know, those things were huge. Mm -hmm. But you look on those a relative on a relative comparison. If you were telling me in 2014 that one day that Thanos, you know what I mean? Like the, that, that level is, it's just different in the MCU now. Like everything's on the table. Secret Wars is on the table and DC. It's like, I don't know what's on the table. I don't know what can be done. Mm -hmm. And, but that excitement level of what could be done because there has been some turbulence and you've got a new creative mind that is driving all of this to, to new and potentially even wacky places that is tethered to something grander. Like that's like, like I said, early days is like, what, what, what is infinity war? Like that's the vibe I'm getting is like, what is he talking about? Like how big is this story? Yeah, man. And there's like some exciting pieces on the board too that they can play with. And you have things like Cavill's comments about mm -hmm. what his vision of Superman is and that he wants to do a movie where everybody leaves the theater smiling and happy and full of optimism for what the future of his character and his character being the face and the tip of the spear for the DC universe, I think is important. Right. And I think with the success of the Batman, that kind of served two masters in that it gives them a strong beloved Batman franchise, but it also kind of takes them away from casting a shadow over the rest of the DC universe mm -hmm. where he can have a small role. Like you can just have your uh, elder statesman, Michael Keaton, Batman kind of armchairing things, um, armchair quarterbacking things. And maybe you have a Nightwing who's operating or, you know, like I, I <laughs> my hope would be that we have like quote unquote on star Batman where you have a guy who just looks great in the suit and he is always in the suit, a la Carl Urban and Judge Dredd. And yeah. he never gets a, a solo movie, but he's in all the crossover stuff and he's just a cool, badass-looking Batman, plays the role great, 
and maybe you bring Jeremy Irons as a, as Alfred for a few bit parts, but why not? The only reason you had to have Affleck as Bruce Wayne was to show off Ben Affleck, but yeah. people get Batman, and if they want really deep, nuanced, strong storytelling Batman, you get that in the Reeves stuff, but if you want just Batman looking cool, saving people while the Justice League is doing the heavy hitting, why not just on-star Batman it? Just kind of suit looks good. <laughs> what an idea. Like, how how different would that be? Is because, like you said, you've got that parallel Reeves universe going on, and to just have a Batman. And yeah. we're not going to worry about who's behind the cowl. That's it, it would cool. be. Yeah, it would be kind of neat. It'd be totally different, and it mm-hmm. would keep that character from overshadowing the rest of the universe, right? Because you're going to use your other characters and you're going to develop them more and you're um, going to give them a bit more focus because you have more latitude to play with them. And everybody knows Batman and we know him so well. So just, you, you need to have him there. Like, I don't want it to be like the 90s tops trading cards where you couldn't have Batman in the set because somebody else had the license. Mm-hmm. He's got to be there. But I think he can be there in a diminished capacity but because you have this thriving Reeves universe um, shoulder to shoulder with it that is also already established, yeah. right? So it's not something that you're promising. It's something, it's there. And if if that's all you want, then that's there for you to enjoy. But if it's not, get just this little Fiesta platter Batman <laughs> in the background, just a little su- sample dish. So let me pull on that thread a little bit. In, in the comic books, your source material... Does the Justice League know who Batman is? Like, is that like a foundational piece of trust that is built inside of that? Or is it as much of a mystery as Spider-Man is now going forward in the MCU type thing or or was in a, a pre-Civil War comic book event type thing? Where he's yeah, part like, of the team, but no one knows who the hell he is. Yeah, so he... Like now, the way it stands now, yeah, they all know each other's secret identities and mm. call each other by their first names. And Clark shows up in the Batcave all the time and and whatnot. However, when they first reestablished like the Big Seven Justice League with like the '90s relaunch under Grant Morrison and stuff like that, they didn't know who he was, and they didn't know each other's secret identities and stuff like that. And they did a cool job. Like I think it wasn't until issue fifty where they had to reveal their secret identities to each other in order to go incognito and work in the shadows. So I kind of like that. Like, go back to that. Like, we don't need Wonder Woman and Bruce Wayne kind of having like a little thing, right? Or whatever, Mm -hmm. where it is so heavily focused around the Wayne character. Like, And doing that, removing the Wayne character, you allow other characters to pick up a lot of screen time too. Yeah, and to be honest, even the animated series, like they didn't play it as though they knew each other's secret identities mm. off the jump either. So, yeah, the opportunity is definitely there. Man, but uh, DC tangents have, have become the norm here inside of the nerd room. <laughs> yeah, but talk to me, talk to me more about James Gunn and his his. Uh, we want to tell what is it? What does he say in that quote? We want to tell the biggest story ever. You know what? I'm gonna read this whole thing. I got it right yes. here on my phone, Bring and it I think it's I think it's important because we can we can touch on all of it. We got about 20 minutes here, and yes, let's uh, let's uh, celebrate, Excited. Mr. Gunn. Excited. 
So he said on, uh, I think this was Sunday morning, Monday morning, the, the 6th, Jan- November 6th, which was a date we were told to burn into our minds. So Sunday morning, it was Mr. Gunn tweeted, open up Twitter at the end of a long creative weekend to see many tweets to hashtag save legends of tomorrow and hashtag release the air cut and fan support for other DC projects over the years. We can all guess as to what that third one refers to. (laughs) The majority of these requests were enthusiastic and respectful. So good on him for giving some kudos and applying some bomb to the wounds. Says, as the new and first ever CEOs of DC Studios, Peter and I think it's important we acknowledge you, the fans, and let you know we hear your different desires for pathways forward for the DC, for DC. Although our ability to interact on Twitter has been lessened due to the workload of our new positions, we are listening and open to everything as we embark on this journey, and we will continue to do so for the next few years. But all our initial focus on the story going forward hammering out the new DCU and telling the biggest story ever told across multiple films, television shows, and animated projects. We invite all DC fandoms from across the multiverse and everyone else as well into this new universe. We can't wait to reveal more. So that was some fine, fine, fine diplomacy. And a way of just saying respectfully, no, the door is being closed on what came before. Um, and we're not going to be dancing to the fan fifes. However, we've got some big, exciting new things planned. And, you know, there's plenty of room on the train for everybody. So I, I absolutely love this quote and I love just how a respectful it was and b how clear the messaging is it's just mm-hmm. yeah we hear you we know what you want we what you want but that's not necessarily what you're going to get so i think that that was something important to do cuz like we lived through a good 8 years where a lack of clarity in communication has caused all sorts of narratives to be crafted and rumor and innuendo to run wild over that studio and or not even studio or over that brand and and really tarnish like everyone's and I mean everyone's fan experience with it and alienated people on the outside looking in so I think it's cool that you have this guy who's like yeah I'm the head of this studio and we want you to be a part of it but um it's going to be, we were hired because of our vision and that's what we're going to deliver. So yeah, I, I'm excited, man. Very excited. There's nothing in that quote to not be excited about, right? Like from the mention of DCU as kind of establishing that as the, the universe acronym, which I really love to, like you said, the diplomacy, but more asking for a level of trust from fandom, Mm -hmm. right? Is that, you know, we are going to listen, but we're also going to do what's best for the characters and ultimately what's best for business. Having successes inside of this new studio is very important, both critically and financially and from a fan perspective. And so if they get a solid foundation in there, 
which might not mean bringing very small or niche characters to the screen at first you have to remember that he's also seen this blueprint unfold where he brought the guardians to the table right so he's familiar with bringing teams to the table the suicide squad these type of things right where aren't mainstream but you he's asking for a level of trust to let them build a little bit first and mm-hmm. then we'll grow the biggest story ever told you can read this in two ways is he talking about a single cinematic moment like Endgame, or is he talking about a very expansive continuum of a universe inside of dc ip or the dc ip right like at first when i read this oh my god they're going to do something huge like crisis but like the biggest story ever told could just be the size and scale of the dc universe that they're building up in and around like they said animation film and tv mm-hmm. like i think a lot of people's minds went to like dc's equivalent to endgame or something i don't think it's that i think it's yeah, like no. about the universe i i definitely agree and i and i think part of it was a bit of a jab at like the previous mindsets for dc uh under warner brothers where it's like let's just have this small self-contained batman story and then we have Superman, but we're doing Superman and Superman is just going to be over here. And then we're going to make a new Superman movie and maybe he'll be the point of origin for a bigger, more expansive set of stories, or maybe he won't be. And we have this Green Lantern movie that even whether or not it it thrives or it fails, we have no plan Uh outside of just waiting and seeing, right? And even, like, the the Snyder stuff with the Justice League film, the narrative becomes, well, it was just supposed to be a self-contained five-movie arc. Well, that's not the biggest story ever told. That's just no. five films based on one guy's vision for it, and um, that's all fine and good, and maybe I'd like to see it, but I also would hate to have not got the original Wonder Woman, which is one of the greatest comic book movies ever created. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm i on the same page you are with that, man. And uh, I don't think that there's any reading into it that they're going to be resurrecting anything from the past that didn't work. I think that they're in a great position in that they have this Flash movie waiting and in the can that really gives them a bit of a blank canvas after the fact, right? Mm. So um, you can have some tweaks with Aquaman and Blue Beetle and take things forward. And uh, I mentioned that day of November 6th because Jason Momoa released (laughs) probably the most enthusiastic Instagram video that I have ever seen, (laughs) screaming about the date, November 6th, and for everybody to burn it into their mind, because he just got news that had him like over the moon excited, literally. Like, honestly, just go watch the video for yourself. Words cannot do it justice. How excited this guy was about a project that he was just told about and um, something that's going forward. And like, I was joking with people that he's like, oh, he, he never read the book Dune and realizes that Duncan Idaho has a role to play in the sequel with the, he, he refers to the maestro uh, when in his Instagram video. So I was like, maybe he's talking about Denny Villeneuve, but um, he does an interview and it's clearly later in the day because Jason Moore was a rich man and he wouldn't need to wear the same yellow t-shirt twice uh, over the course of a week. 
And he specifically says that uh, he's got some word from James Gunn about the project that has him stoked. And uh, yeah, man, like just based on his reaction, like Gunn's tweets are amazing and set the table. But like Momoa's reaction video basically set my mind ablaze as to the different things that he could be referring to. Oh, man. And like like you said, his his enthusiasm for the character of Arthur Curry, Aquaman, is has been palpable for from day one, right? Even him going up on stage at, at STCC and smashing a chair at one point. Like, <laughs> so he's a crazy yeah. man. He's a crazy man, but enthusiasm translates to success for him, right? In the same fashion that, that The Rock is, has done in the past, that same enthusiasm has, has really elevated him and the characters that he played. They embody them, and they, they want to be them. And, and yeah, this video just, just sent set my mind like like you wildfire like, is he talking about justice he's talking about aquaman 3 or something bigger or or the possibility of integrating some concepts from the past into something brand new and bigger like th- there's so much there but the fact that it's specifically james gunn talking to him means that there's a larger plan for aquaman and that this vision this big old vision that james gunn has and peter Safford, i can't i can't keep knocking him out of this but it's exciting Right. And if he's that excited, what does that mean for us as as fans of this product and this IP and of the future of it? It's 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 so this is this is what's got me amped up about all this. Right. Is that all the pieces are falling into place. You go back to July and it was a hellscape for D.C. And now we're sitting on probably the most anticipated IP for the foreseeable future, even inside of the things like the MCU and Star Wars really ramping up momentum too yeah man like it, it's it's amazing what the difference <laughs> a few weeks literally a few weeks uh makes but yeah it, it's crazy exciting times and nothing but optimism and like if well not if the mcu is obviously the blueprint and i think the thing that's being overlooked by everyone is the fact that James Gunn at one point in time was being groomed mm-hmm. to, if not take over for Kevin Feige, but to basically head up all the cosmic stuff within the yes. MCU. And that was right up until Infinity War. And yeah. then I think it was kind of after that movie or in around them finishing that movie that all the drama took place. But if he's been groomed to that level um, to, to take that job, that means... A, he has a lot of knowledge, and B, he had a lot of trust with his abilities and his capabilities uh, from Disney. So that's an amazing get for DC, and the proof is in the pudding for me with what he can do because The Suicide Squad is one of my favorite movies in the comic book space, and The Peacemaker, I think, now that we're done everything, is probably going to be the best comic book show of 2022. Um, I think so. Yeah. Inside of there's some MCU stuff. There's all kinds of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's the I would say it's the best Peacemaker. Yeah, I I adored it. Like, yeah, the the, the only th- the other one that like really had me excited all the time was The Boys season three. But I think on the whole, um, probably whiny uh, Dewey gave the tip to Peacemaker. But yeah, <laughs> Pe- yeah, and Peacemaker was just more fun and more crazy but yeah i yeah so if 
that's the guy that shepherded those two things forward. And I don't for a second believe that all the DC things are going to be of that same vein and uh, same style of humor and, and whatnot. But um, the care and attention that the, he put into all the characters, right? You, you end up falling in love with a character like Ataboya in Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And you need those types of characters in your movies. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting it across the board. And, and so much so to your point of it, you know, him being, whether you want to call it groomed or at least put in a position where he was being elevated inside of the, the MCU, James Glenn said the first person he talked to about his appointment to this role was Kevin Feige. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the reason James Gunn came back, I think Kevin Feige just went and said like, it's me or it's me and gun or nothing for volume three of guardians of the galaxy that Kevin mm-hmm. Peige likely put his job on the line and said, I am out unless you bring him back into this role. There's like for them to flip on that and then give him basically carte blanche to do whatever he wants inside of that guardians to finish his story um, with probably relatively limited constraints on those characters. Like there is a very strong relationship between those two. And so, you know, you don't want it to be an exact copycat, but you want to take the successful elements, instill them and ingrain them inside of your new studio and then pivot and take it in your own direction. And you have the IP to do that, to baseline all of that. And you've got characters that are wildly different than the things we've seen in the MCU. Oh yeah, totally, totally. And I, I love that Kevin Feige will be like a unofficial consultant on these mm-hmm. things and, and vice versa, right? It's just the way that it'll happen. Like, honestly, the only pairing that would have been better is if Disney did fire Kevin Feige at the time and he came to DC and it was him and Jeff Johns running DC Studios. Well, there was a rumor. I'm not sure if there's any validity to it that they did approach Feige to run DC Studios. Yeah, Uh, just ask the question. Yeah, yeah. do you want to do this? (laughs) Imagine that. What a wild time that would have been. Old old Zach's lab with the... The big pull. One thing. One thing about speaking about Zatslav too. There, he had a quote from an earnings call that talked about him spending a lot of time over the past few months with both James and Peter talking about the blueprint and their vision. The interesting piece on that is the couple of months that he's been mm-hmm. talking to them, right? And so this and this didn't. And we speculated that uh, what was it two weeks ago when we talked about this appointment that there was likely some sort of longer term discussion, not not just even based on compensation, but about maybe creative control and the ability to craft this universe. And so this has been in the works for a while, um, I think. And, and so I, the, the fingerprints and DNA over some of the decisions, you know, might have some weight in and behind both James and Peter, but Holy shit, man. Like, come on. Like this is, this is flipping exciting, dude. Like it's crazy, man. And then, and did you see the deadline article where Zaslav is having lunch with, uh, Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan was there and then Peter really? Safran walks in yeah it's either de- it, it, it's from a trade either Deadline or Variety just from what a, yesterday what <laughs> I think it was oh and yeah there's articles about can you imagine if Spielberg is coming to do Superman and I was like actually I kind of can like if you watch Ready Player One he clearly has an affinity for the character and mm-hmm. good lord like Superman and the Kents that <laughs> that is right up that guy's wheelhouse. So, yeah. it's like the start of the joke. You got Zatzlaff, Spielberg, and Nolan sitting in a bar, and Peter Safran walks in. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, man, it's it's nuts. It's nuts. I who knows? They could be talking about any number of things, but if it is a DC project, like that'd be amazing. The comic book movie is kind of the only thing he's never done. Yeah, and you have to think too, like DC Studios to, to firmly establish itself. It's gonna take. It, it, it they have to have like a, a spectrum of directors and creative minds involved in this, right? Where you take guys like Nolan and Spielberg who have been at the top of the game for, for seemingly forever. And you sprinkle them in with guys like Eddie Muschietti and a few other Matt Reeves that, you know, are, are really great directors have a lot of momentum, but not the same sort of stature. If you can say mm-hmm. that of Nolan and Spielberg, and then you bring in new unheard of directors to try to twist things around like blue beetle or the directors that were doing, Batgirl and all that to do projects, you get a variability in in your and in your sensibility and tone from that too, right? You need those creatives to set the tone and set the pace. And you know the MCU's done it, Star Wars has done it, and I, I think it's good business to to bring a diverse set. But you also need those guys like Spielberg and Nolan and even Gunn as kind of a bit of mentors to some of these guys too. Yeah, it, it's true. Like, and and Nolan was like Snyder's mentor and stuff. And God bless him for the Dark Knight trilogy. I love him, but um, I'm good with the, <laughs> with that. <laughs> thank thank you for your service. But uh, yeah, some of those other guys, like it would it would be amazing. But uh, yeah, man, future looks bright. So bright, so exciting, and so positive. Let me tell you, it uh, it's exciting to get onto the mics and talk so much positivity about the space in general but specifically dc recently right i'm re- i'm ready for a big change i'm ready for the biggest story ever told from james gunn's point of view and we're, we're just living in a, in a world right we're talking about this momentum dc has we've got wakanda forever this weekend the freaking guardians of the galaxy christmas special on tap here it makes me forget how freaking cold it is here in calgary right now i think my furnace has just been on all day because it's like minus 30 here and it gives me a little bit of a uh, little bit of relief from all the craziness that is uh, outside in the cold. But um, yeah, to to give people a peek at my level of fandom, I started rereading uh, Justice League: Endless Winter. <laughs> that's the mindset that we're in here, man. Up in Canada, it's true. We we do live in a freaking ice house <laughs> at times. It's supposed yeah. to get warmer this weekend for Black Panther, but holy sh- man. It's nice to to get the the blood pressure up and get a little heat on the mics here to try to warm up uh, warm up what is uh, turning out to be a very cold November here in uh, in Calgary, Alberta. But man, and- we've turned up the heat enough. It's time to dial it back and put a pin in this show. We've walked through the DCU, we've walked through the MCU, and what's going on in all the all the news in and around that. And we're gonna have lots on tap here. We're wrapping up Andor. We've got Black Panther, Wakanda Forever review. We've got some cool stuff on tap for December. We've got our year in review. Everything, our, our outlook for 2023, which is going to be another big year in the space. So this is always a great time of year for podcasting because there's a lot going on. And we're continuing to, to, to look to build and do more things with different podcasters, different creatives. We just had a two-part episode crossover with the House of Nerd where we talked about Ghostbusters and TMNT toys on our YouTube channel. Go check that live stream out. And then last Sunday, we are on the House of Nerd YouTube show talking about the 2015 TMNT Ghostbusters crossover comic book event. A lot of fun there. We had a blast talking with both Sergio and Al over the last week. So 
go check that out and we're going to continue to bring in some old favorites from our past and uh, and try to, to form new and uh, exciting discussions and relationships with the creatives talking about all this awesome stuff that's in front of us so carlos any last words before we sign off here on, a, on another awesome just positive episode no man i need to go back to kandak because <laughs> it's way too cold <laughs> <laughs> i hear you on that all right go check out black adam one more time before you get to wakanda forever and guys I guess if you'd like to be a part of this in any way or you want to participate in even a discussion with us, you can always email us at nerdroom at gmail.com. We find everything we do over at nerdroom.net. YouTube, we continue to do live streams and videos every once, every couple times a month. So go check out our YouTube channel, The Nerd Room Podcast, and give us a subscribe there. We just crossed over 500 subscribers on that, and so we've had a lot of fun building that over this past year. And so make sure you jump on that, and Ian's going to continue that momentum into the new year. And I finally got The Nerd Room set up, so we're going to get a new video soon and twitter handles at the end of the episode that's where you can uh, find us for the most part wandering around when it's not a complete elon musk derived hellscape but with all that being said all that positivity behind us and looking forward to another week in all things with marvel dc and beyond for the nerd room i'm tim and tell him the man in black sent you yeah i love it man i absolutely love it and thank you very much for entering the nerd room this has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.